Welcome back to the Behind the Net podcast. Um, as always, I'm your host, Matthew, and with me is my co-host. How's it going, guys? Um, yep, it's Michael, and um, what episode is this, 23? Is this 23? Yeah. Fitting, yeah, fitting for uh, uh, that we're all watching The Last Dance these days, and we're on uh, the Michael Jordan episode, the GOAT episode. Oh, that's really good. I didn't even think of that. Mm-hmm. I was about to say Travis Dermott, but uh, or or my or how that's how old I am. But whatever. <laughs> I mean, come on. I mean, better. I mean, what better way to start an episode than talk about the last dance? I mean, I'm sure you're caught up, right? Of course, yeah. Actually, it's funny enough. Uh, last night, I was uh, just before I went to sleep, I was I was kind of bored and thinking about the last dance. I was like, hey, let's watch some Michael Jordan highlights from his rookie season. Oh man, no one really thinks to do that, but. <laughs> I mean, at least that's what I think. But his highlights from his rookie season are pretty impressive, considering uh, the time, place of the era of basketball during that time. I mean, he was insane since he was a rookie, and I think that's what really took the world by storm. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that. Have you? Did, I'm not sure if you watched the video that was uploaded to the NBA's channel, but they have one of it with all his highlights. I think it has like over 200,000 views, and there's one highlight where he's being doubled or triple team, I think it was. He lobbies the ball up with one hand. It goes up really high, knocks just off the backboard, and then goes straight in. It was like one of the most impressive uh, plays I've ever seen. I think I've seen that one before. I'm going to have to rewatch it um, if it's on the NBA's channel. But, yeah, definitely this is the time to be talking about the last dance. I mean, we can go on about the last dance, but, man, it's just so interesting, isn't it? I have to ask you, what has been your favorite part of the documentary so far? Honestly, I think I really like the Dennis Rodman episode so far. Just because we get to see how interesting of a person he really is. and <laughs> I don't know, I've been reading a lot of stuff about the whole thing. But uh, yeah, I mean, I found the part I found really funny was when uh, Dennis Rodman went to Vegas um, with Carmen Electra. <laughs> and then Michael Jordan had to go and get him and bring him back but there's just been so many great moments like it's really just a complete timeline of not just michael jordan's career but the bulls dynasty of the michael jordan era i i agree and what's funny since you mentioned uh the dennis robbins story my my the favorite thing that i was uh seeing in response to that i believe this was yesterday but when everything gets back to normal, I think I'm going to ask Coach Nick Nurse for some time off to go to Paris Fashion Week. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Man. Um, A reminder <laughs> to you guys, Serge Ibaka has to stay in Toronto. Serge Ibaka, I mean, he already said he wants to resign, so I would love for him to resign. He's like, he's he really is the glue guy, the funny guy. Man. But another another favorite moment of mine, just quickly, is the uh, the headache line from Michael Jordan. I think that was episode one or two. Um, uh, I'm not going to say the whole thing, but I don't remember exactly, but it was like um, it was him, Michael Jordan, wanting to play, you know, with an injury. And they used the, his trainer, I guess, used the metaphor of, uh, you know, if, if you had a headache and you wanted to take uh, these pills and one out of ten of them can kill you would you take it and michael jordan said how bad is i mean how bad is the headache <laughs> i don't know it just it just speaks to the goatness of him i i agree and it's funny like I, it reminds me 
of uh, the moment uh, during the 1989 playoffs uh, where the Bulls were taking on the Cleveland Cavaliers. It reminds me of that quote where the reporter was uh, like just before game five, Jordan went out to three reporters based in Chicago. And these reporters, if you remember, one of them said they predicted the Bulls would be out in three. Another predicted the Bulls would be out in four. And the other one, Cleveland would win game five and win the whole series. So just for the game, Jordan went to each reporter and said, we took care of you, we took care of you, and we're about to take care of you. <laughs> Man. And, of course, he, he hit that iconic uh, game buzzer beater to win the game buzzer five. Beater, yeah. I mean, that was – I mean, both of us, we haven't really lived through the Michael Jordan era at all. I mean, if anything, we were bo- both born right at the tail end of his career. But I'm just imagining, like, just even watching the documentary, it would have been something to live through. Something amazing to see, even if you were in a Bulls fan. Oh, absolutely. And uh, I think the fact that we actually get to see some footage uh, during that time in the 97 season, I mean, it's obviously uh, the best quality they possibly can make it. And uh, it's probably, for me, a perfect encapsulation of just what that team was like. But also, you can get an, a sense of uh, just, like, it's, it's just really cool to see it. For sure. I mean, look at us. Right off the bat, talking about basketball already, but uh, <laughs> I want to keep this uh, <laughs> podcast moving because uh, today we have a pretty big episode, a pretty big uh, content-filled episode. That's, so that's that's always good, especially while we're all on quarantine. Um, I want to ask Absolutely. you quickly, uh, as I always ask you, Michael, how's your quarantine going this week? It's been uh, it's been good. Uh, I mean, it's kind of been the same thing as uh, last time, uh, keeping up with the tradition of trying to do a bit of uh, running on the treadmill every day. Mm-hmm. I think uh, for those of you guys that are sticking around at home all the time, uh, if you if you have a treadmill or like an electrical trainer or something like that, definitely use it. It's the best way you can keep yourself uh, fit for cardio. And I think it's really been helpful for me as well. And uh, last episode, I believe we were talking about how I started playing Banjo-Kazooie. Uh, an update on that. Did uh, you beat it? I'm, I, I haven't beaten it, but I'm on the last uh, final boss. Oh, Man, that final boss is tough. I'll tell you that. Mm-hmm. That even, I, I, I mean, I I didn't even. I'm not even talking about like as a kid. Like I played it like a couple years ago, and it was tough. <laughs> absolutely, getting through that quiz was probably one of the main things I've ever had to. Play. Yeah, I mean, I was like, it's a tough, it's a tough boss, and I don't want to spoil it for anyone, but um, yeah, no, it just. Even as an adult playing it, it's one of the tougher boss battles. And I, I remember playing it and thinking, this is a kid's game? Like, I'm struggling. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for uh, keeping me informed. Uh, hopefully, You'll get uh, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that, the ending cutscene is funny. Just just watch it. it I just love that ending cutscene. I am so much to charm it. to this game. But, yeah. I mean, so what about you, man? Uh, what have you been up to? Um, nothing much. I've just been, uh, just been chilling, uh, you know, trying to keep active, things like that, spending time with family. And, uh, I've, I've been playing, uh, Red Dead Redemption 2 because I haven't actually beaten it. And I figured I'll come around to it now. <laughs> that's, that's awesome, man. It's actually funny. I have Red Dead, the original Red Dead Redemption, but I haven't that's an uh, amazing really played game. it much. You should play it. It's well, I, th- game. I should. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of these. Yes, I'll get around to it. I think quarantine <laughs> is the time where we go and pick up things that we, um, like especially games that we haven't beaten, and might as well get around to it before we buy anything more, any anything new, you know. Absolutely. 
Well, I guess since we're talking about new, uh, there has been some new developments uh, in the NHL plans Man. to resume operation. And, I always, uh, I always love your yeah. transitions. By the way, you always <laughs> they, find they a way come to transition on the well. spot. <laughs> They're on the spot. I don't, don't plan these out. It's just like they come to me. Then, okay, but go on. Well, okay, so I'm sure a lot of you hockey fans are listening to the podcast listening right now already know this but uh, we'll get into it anyway there's uh, been reports that the nhl could potentially open up facilities for players to begin training camps all over again in mid to late may and they have a preseason, quote unquote in june and have the nhl season resume in july go into august september have the stanley cup awarded by then and then potentially see the 2020 2021 season start in december Mm -hmm. so that sounds like a feasible idea but we obviously know that there's been some disagreements with players in terms of being able to having to be quarantined in hotels for that time being and there's players i believe philip deneau was one of them that said spending some time some away from family with something he doesn't really want to do so i don't know what how that's going to play out because obviously this virus is going in so many different directions but what do you think of the NHL's new plan, reported plan? I mean, first, like, I, I sympathize with the players. I mean, obviously, especially in these unprecedented times, you might not want to do it. But, I mean, in the end, it is their job, right? So they do have to do it if the NHL figures out a way that they want to continue the season in. Um, but as long as it's safe, like... I really just worry about the safety of these players. And as long as it's like a hundred percent guaranteed safe that we won't get like an outbreak between um, NHL teams or players. Um, I think it would be great to have sports back and, and finish it during that timeline. What do you think? I think so too. And I think you pretty much harped on the points that I was thinking, because I think that's really the, the main thing with this uh, debate Obviously, the players, they definitely, their their concerns are legitimate. And it's uh, I sympathize with them in that they want to spend time with their families and potentially have them spend multiple months. Let, let's say if you're this, this team that makes it all the way to the Stanley Cup Finals, uh, that's like possibly four months away from your families mm-hmm. until who knows when lockdowns are lifted. And we have, we're just assuming that everything as normal continues progresses in the right direction and we don't even know when non-essential travel will be allowed again and when the border will be open but it's like you said matthew uh it's their job and if they want to do this they will do it but uh i think the one thing they have to look for is a middle ground that is works for the people that uh are have, have to spend time away from their families but also the players that really want to play again and i think that that's another thing that we've we've been hearing throughout this entire pause mm-hmm. is that these players really want to play again i mean at the same time though the nhl really or any all the sports leagues they really need to be careful and they can't fumble the fumble the ball here because i mean we've like sports fans i get it like it's a big industry that's kind of um falling right now and they they do need to get it back up because you know it's a lot of money being lost and things like that in more ways than one but in terms of the fans they've we've been a few months without sports right now and 
you don't want to rush something back just because you know everyone wants it back as soon as possible and everyone wants to complete the season but if if it really isn't the safest thing to do like I think everyone will be more than okay with canceling the season if that had to be the case because as of right now yeah um the curve is starting to decrease but um and, and things are looking optimistic but you know, as of right now, we really don't have like a set timeline for how this coronavirus outbreak is going to conclude. Exactly. And I think that's the big thing, too, because we don't really have the set date in mind when this thing is going to uh, ultimately pass over to the point where it's no longer considered a pandemic. But what we do know is that things are progressing in the right direction. People are starting to get healthy. Just yesterday, the uh, World Ometer site announced, like, or at least it showed that uh, the recovered number reached a million. So it is, we, I think it's, it's a good sign. Obviously, we don't know the full extent of uh, how things are progressing because the numbers aren't fully accurate. But I think the good thing is, is that there are plans in place to get sports back. There are players such as LeBron James, I know this is uh, not hot-related, who's saying that he wants to get back uh, as soon as it's safe and ready to do so. And just the, the, just the fact that there are huge, a lot of work that's being done to try and get sports back up in spite of the, this dire situation, it just gives me some hope that there will, this, uh, this terrible time won't be persisting as long as some people suggest it might be. But then again, we have no idea when the end is coming. For sure. I a hundred percent agree with you. Um, Let's keep things moving, though. Um, obviously, we'll, time will just have to tell, and we'll just have to see when the NHL decides to return. But things look promising, nonetheless. But um, I do want to keep things moving in this podcast. Um, a big, a pretty big uh, event happened this week. The NWHL uh, draft happened. And I'm sure you tuned into that, Michael, right? Yes, I did, and I was uh, really uh, excited about uh the uh, NWHL's uh, plan for announcing the picks. Uh, we had some celebrity guests uh, to announce each uh, of the 30 picks uh, selected in the draft. I thought that was a, a really cool thing, and uh, I really enjoyed the uh, draft role. But uh, one thing I really uh, thought was surprising was uh, the first overall pick uh, being exchanged. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think we're all, uh, I mean, being a Toronto sports podcast, and you and me are both from Toronto, I think um, moving forward, we want to uh, focus on talking about the uh, new Toronto NWHL team um, on this podcast more so um, of course when the new team which we talked about last week um, they had the first overall pick and they traded it to the Boston Pride um, when I saw that I thought it was from Toronto's perspective I thought it was a great deal especially because being an expansion team this is definitely an expansion team move um, for Toronto of course you can put kind of a lot of eggs in a basket and, and and take that first overall pick. But when you're an expansion team, you definitely want to spread your talent out a little more and try and get as much talent as you can right now and worry about getting those star players later because right now they're definitely just trying to fill out the roster, right? So turning one first-round pick into two first-round picks um, is definitely... It's, it's definitely important. Like, usually... If it was just any other team, you might not think that would be the best deal. But in Toronto's case, it makes a lot of sense. 
absolutely agree. And uh, I think as much as it would have been nice for Toronto to uh, select Sammy Davis uh, with the first overall, well, if that was the case, first overall, um, I think it was just the perfect storm of events for uh, Toronto to go about making an expansion move, like you said, that I think will help them in the long run in uh, terms of developing a team that can have success for a long time. And they picked up a really good uh, forward in Jace Jebhardt. And I think that that's going to really help uh, solidify the core of the team going forward. And uh, with all these other players that they've signed, uh, yes, I don't expect uh, next season to be them being world beaters and uh, taking the NWHL by storm. But you never know. I, exactly, yeah. The Golden Knights it, did it. <laughs> well, that's true. Uh, but they, the Golden Knights only won one Stanley Cup final game. But that's uh, that's just, you definitely are right on the money with that. I mean, and also the new more than, It's more than the Leafs did in 50 years. Uh, <laughs> there it is. There it is. We're allowed there to say is. that because we are Leafs fans. That is true, yeah. <laughs> no, but it, it's, it's just... But it's, you're right. Anything is possible. But I do like the the makeup of the team and just the direction that they're going. And that move, it, some people could be like, why are they making a move like that? I think you're right in saying that, that they're just plan- mapping out their future. And uh, just their dra- early draft results uh, show just that. Of course. Um, what did you think of the format? I know you said you liked it, but uh, any other thoughts on it? I, I just like the, uh, the inclusion of uh, celebrity guest uh, on coming up and... Uh, I mean, for for some for some of them, like it's a perfect excuse to uh, talk hockey on a big platform, even if it's just very brief. But uh, I think these are cool formats, and uh, for uh, for women's hockey, uh, it's a great opportunity to try different things uh, that other sports leagues would probably wouldn't be so willing to do. Uh, I, I thought it was a great format. What did you think? I thought it was great. I thought it was a way to connect, um, obviously, new and old women's hockey fans um and not even just women's hockey fans not even just hockey fans i believe they got a wnba player to uh i forgot who was exactly i'll have to look that up but i believe they got one to uh announce a pick and i mean even just seeing that you know then a, a basketball fan a wnba fan will uh might see it and be like oh women's hockey or hockey in general i want to i want to look into that i thought it's it's great to grow the game in general I think these are, and like, it's like I was saying, I think things like that are a unique way of uh, getting fans excited about the draft. Because let's face it, if not for trades and uh, just for this, the theatrics of it all, I think the draft doesn't necessarily need to be like in a set location like it usually is for the NHL, NBA, uh, NFL, and MLB. And obviously, those those drafts can be exciting. Let's not kid ourselves. But I think it's primarily exciting because of the trades. So having this uh, method of announcing the picks is different. And I think it's a, it's a fresh and exciting take on it. For sure. A hundred percent agree. Um, and I mean, women's, the, the women's leagues have been being, have been innovative for a while. And uh, I, I really see that they're using the draft and, and the current situation we're in right now with the, you know, with the pandemic and everything, um, they're using it to, to be very innovative. And I mean, we all saw the NFL draft, uh, you know, uh, take place remotely, but before that, uh, a week before that, uh, they had the WNBA draft done remotely. And that was actually the first, uh, draft done remotely. 
And uh, that was, I mean, in in our current situation, that was groundbreaking. And and to see it transcend in a, in a new way with the NWHL draft, um, I thought it was really cool. Yeah, exactly. And I think that it's proof right here that drafts don't need to be in set locations. They can work just as well remotely. And I think uh, both the NWNBA and the NFL, and of course now the NWHL, did a great job of showing how it can be done. So now when the NBA and the NHL and other sports leagues uh, eventually do their draft, uh, they have an idea of what works, what doesn't, and how to go about doing it. Yeah, I mean, look at that, like just doing a remote draft. Look how many opportunities you have to be creative with. I mean, the NWHL um, got more more people involved, you know, and not just the people in the league, um, but a lot of different hockey uh, personas, sports personas, um, and just a way to connect sports fans in general. I thought that was amazing. Yeah, and didn't you, did, I remember seeing somewhere that the, the NFL draft raked in over 50 million views uh, over the course of uh, the two, the three nights, I think it was, which I it goes to show that being it being the first major sporting event of the big four sports leagues, fans were very excited to see it. And I think uh, it's just, it's just a refreshing sight to see. A hundred percent. I agree. Um, it's, it's definitely refreshing to see and, and uh it was just awesome. It was, it was very interesting. Um, but we'll, we'll now now we just wait until the NWHL season starts, and I'm very excited because, hey, now we have a, a local team to follow in the exactly. NWHL, of course. Didn't, let's, uh, I think that's a good transition over to our uh, next part of the podcast. Yeah. I mean, we actually got to speak to a uh, NWHL writer, uh, Erica Ayala, and uh, she had a lot of great things to talk about, a lot of insight into, uh, of course, hockey and, and women's hockey in the NWHL draft. So uh, how about we go into that now? Yeah. <laughs> Today on the show, we are joined by Erica Ayala. She's a color analyst for the Boston Pride and Connecticut Whale Games on the NWHL on Twitch. She's also a freelance sports writer who has had her work appear on sites such as The Athletic, Deadspin, and The Guardian. She has a passion for covering professional women's sports beyond just hockey, including basketball and soccer. Welcome to the show, Erica. How's it going? Thank you both for having me. Uh, it's going well. You know, it's an unprecedented time for everyone, but um, I'm thankful that my family, we're, we're safe, we're hanging in there, and I hope uh, the same goes for you as well. Of, of, of course, course, of course. Thank you very much. How's, uh, how's, how's your quarantine going? I feel like we've been asking everyone that, but of course it's the hot question right now. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we kick off everything. Um, you know, it's the first week or so was um, not too different just because being a freelancer, I work from home a lot. So I was like, all right, you know, that's, that's, that's easy enough. Uh, but then once you start realizing so much, even outside of sports, you interact with people outside and you, know, you catch up with friends and family over dinner or drinks, you, you really start missing that stuff. So I think uh, at this point, it's just taking it day by day and trying to make the best of each day. For, For sure. Course, yeah. 
Um, and there's been a lot of big stuff that has been happening in spite of the fact that there has been no sports for the last month. Um, one of them being, of course, in the NWHL with the announcement of a Toronto team. Uh, what were your initial reactions when you heard the news? My initial reactions were I wanted to, to get a little bit more information because this is something that the National Women's Hockey League had toyed with in the past. I know even as um, early as last season, um, after the CWHL folded, was something that was certainly in conversation. I wanted to know uh, what the details were and then, um, you know, made this uh, the right time for the league. And I think we, we started to get some of those answers. So um, I'm, but now that I've, I've been able to talk to a few people, I mean, there's definitely a lot of excitement, some things that we, we want to, to learn, but overall women's hockey growing and being able to return to Canada, I think overwhelmingly that is a good thing. For sure. Um, do you think that uh, the NWHL might want to, expand to other cities or do you think there are any other cities that might get a team in the future yes i think there is definitely room for expansion not just in canada but in the united states as well i think toronto now in the league and also with minnesota in the league finding some teams that are a little bit closer to those two teams one being a franchise that being toronto and then of course minnesota I think that would really bode well for the league um, and create some regional buzz like we have here in the Northeast. Yes, I think that there is more expansion on the horizon, but if I had to guess, maybe another year or so um, before we see that. So we'll have to get through season six in 2020, 2021 and see how things shake out. Mm -hmm. Where do you think the NWHL will expand? I take one look at uh, the list of teams that uh, are currently in operation, and the one city that sticks out in my mind that would make a lot of sense for a rivalry would be Chicago, but I'm sure there's a lot of others that you can think of. So where else do you think the NWHL could expand beyond just Canada and possibly Chicago? Yeah, I really like Chicago, actually, um, because, again, I think it gives you some uh, – it um, cuts down some of that distance or creates different regional markets. Um, I know that a lot of people would let, love to see the NWHL or women's hockey have a home in Pittsburgh, and Pittsburgh has been really great through the Penguins organization. They've done a lot in the last few years to promote women's hockey at the college and professional and even the international level. I think that's definitely a city that has to be on the radar. Uh, I know a lot of folks have um, wanted to see Women's hockey maybe go to North Carolina or maybe the D.C. area. Um, that doesn't necessarily um, much as far as moving the game further west. But um, I think any of those areas really be great as well. Of course. And um, you, you, you mentioned that, you know, expansion would probably take, a, you know, maybe in the future, like a year or two. Um, but what steps uh, do you think uh, the NWHL should go about? Um, for expanding, uh, what kind of steps would they have to complete before they can, I guess, expand in the future? And I think I'll start uh, my answer by kind of saying that I think Toronto is a little bit of that blueprint. Mm -hmm. um, expansion, I think, would have to continue to be on the franchise model. So uh, the NWHL Toronto team is owned by a women-led ownership group. 
so it is not something that the league is is going to own and operate. Um, I think that will definitely have to be the model since it is a very small um, and growing professional league. I think having investors and owners that are willing to um, put up the money to have a franchise is going to be it's looking for really good partners and, and investors and owners in, in any area where expansion would, is going to happen. I think that's the first thing. Mm-hmm. I think that leads into all of my other steps, which would be to really have the league continue to build out platforms. So we're able to broadcast on Twitch for the first time this year. And I think continuing with Twitch, but then maybe also growing and maybe selling Podcast rights be another good thing. Um, I think that the NWHL Players Association has done a really great job of solidifying of the logistics and and the professional side on the contracts and and making sure that even in a league that's not able to pay a livable wage, there are things that um, protecting players, not just physically through making sure that they have workers' compensation, but also trying to, even within, you know, a small, small pot of money, making sure that uh, the players and the players association is maximizing how much money and the earning potential of players. And I think all of that is important because um, you need owners, you need investors, and you need broadcast rights and deals and broadcast money and revenue to come in that you can ultimately be able to increase the salaries which we know is what everyone in women's pro hockey wants Um, but those three things i think really have to happen um, for the league to be able to grow and not just expand but truly grow and bring the women all the more closer to being able to do hockey as their primary job Mm-hmm. It sounds like That's a lot of really exciting uh, prospects. Uh, yeah, of course. And yeah. those goals seems like uh, with with the pro- current trajectory that the NWHL is could possibly attain those goals. So, what excites you the most about uh, these goals, and also just the prospect that the NWHL could possibly reach them? I think in sports in general, um, and athletes are taking opportunity to really not only learn more about the business I don't want to imply that women didn't know about the business side that's certainly not what I'm saying but I think they're taking an opportunity to um, utilize their voice and position themselves as athletes to be able to consistently have a seat at the table not just um, you know be a part of a league and accept um, the league doing and kind of hope for the best but really be there at table as a part of the conversations and think outside of the box. A lot of people talk about the WNBA and that the WNBA has a great model when it comes to women's sports. But what I think is most telling is that the recent collective bargaining agreement came about because players like Sue Bird, who plays for the Seattle Storm, as well as USA Hockey, a UConn grad, she was able to come to the table Mm -hmm. through her players association, through her union, um, and think outside the box. If these are all of the things that we want, more of a 50-50 revenue split, um, more a salary increase for particularly the veteran players, what are ways that we can compromise and we can negotiate and 
what are things that we are also going to take on as players um, to make that happen? I think that's when we talk about the WNBA model, the most recent history of the WNBA model, I think is telling, and we're starting to see that across women's sports. So I think that there is opportunity for athletes and for women to have a seat at the table, but also for them to think outside the box and make sure that um, they're also being present, not just putting the onus on the owners or the team or the commissioner and vice versa, that the commissioner isn't relying solely on players to be innovative, but that it's truly a collaboration and that both sides um, are really elevating the game and thinking in different ways, not just the traditional ways that we think of in sports. So that's what makes me really excited. I know that's mm -hmm. kind of like a, a, a you know, thousand foot view, but I think that's really what is going to produce the best product, especially if we're being honest now that coronavirus has really um, disrupted the foundation of what we know as, as traditional sports. Um, and everything else. So now is really a time to be innovative. And I think women's sports has been on that trend for a while. A hundred percent. I a hundred percent agree, especially the whole collaborative, uh, uh, idea of, uh, you know, collaborating and, and getting those ideas so that the, that the sport and I guess, of course, women's sports in general can, uh, can keep advancing. Um, that's, that's so important, of course. Michael, do you have a, another question? Yeah, okay. um, just want to say, Erica, you, you perfectly stated what mm -hmm. I was thinking, and I think that uh, you're right in that the NWHL and sport, women's sports in general, are on like can be the forefront of innovating sports. Um, but you were mentioning broadcasting earlier, and it's just perfect for this next question because you have to select one of the the Connecticut Whales uh, picks uh, in the draft yesterday. So how did that happen? Yeah, I was able to um, announce the pick in the fourth round. That was Amanda Conway to the Connecticut Whale. And I had heard rumblings that, again, Anya Packer, who's the executive director of the um, NWHLPA, as well as the league, I heard from both sides that they were really looking to, again, be collaborative, be innovative, um, the NWHL draft has always been virtual or digital. It's always been on the Twitter platform. I think that because everyone now is kind of locked in to social media, um, my, my best guess is that the NWHL saw an opportunity to kind of level up um, what they had been doing for the draft and wanting to be collaborative. So I first heard, uh, because I was helping coordinate with another group that made a pick, uh, the fourth overall pick, uh, Soraya Tinker and Black Girl Hockey Club made that pick. So at first I was helping to facilitate um, some connection with the league and Black Girl Hockey Club. And then being one of the voices, one of the broadcasters for the Connecticut Whale, um, you know, I was given the, the opportunity to announce one of the whale picks. And I just think it was exciting, you know, um, that the league considered me a voice that they'd like to bring into this was such an honor but then once I started to see the other names, because I didn't know, I, I knew of the one group, Black Girl Hockey Club, again, just because I had helped facilitate mm -hmm. the initial conversation. But um, I had no idea that 
Stephanie McMahon or Florence Schelling or, you know, all these other great people. Steve Dangle, I saw was there. Um, I just didn't know the, the, all of the different people. And so I, that was really fun and exciting for me. My hope is that it was not only fun for the fans, but certainly for the, the, those who went in the draft. And um, from everything that I saw on social media, I think, I think that's exactly what happened. Yeah, I, I loved the the whole concept. I thought it was really, uh, it was a really fun way to get. Um, of course, especially as you mentioned during this time where everyone's kind of, um, you know, more into social media right now, given the circumstance we're in. Um, I thought it was a fun way, of course, to uh, just interact, like keep hockey fans from everywhere kind of interact interacting with it right. even more. Um, obviously, we we do know there there's some people who are new to uh, the NWHL and and being able to kind of reel them in um, even by seeing familiar faces and things like that. That was amazing. And, and of course now they get to see, um, you know, such a great product in um, what they're trying to achieve, um, you know, through that draft and everything that, that comes with it. Yeah, it was awesome. Sorry, Erica. I just want to add to it. It just goes off to what you were saying earlier about uh, how women's sports and the NWHL are, being at the forefront of innovation and uh, trying different things for uh, appeal, getting to the fans and getting them uh, invested in their product. And this is just one way to do it because with Twitter being such a active place for people to uh, go about uh, watching sports and uh, following along, I think this is probably the best way of doing it and getting some great uh, uh, people in the hockey industry, not just yourself uh, to do it was, I think the best, uh, there could have been a better way of doing it. For sure. I think it was great. And, you know, we're kind of starved for, again, right, that interaction and have these screens, all of these different screens in front of us and getting to even hear from athletes who, who also are having their lives and their routines impacted, like Natalie Achanwa, who's on the Canadian national team uh, for, for basketball and, and have been preparing for an Olympics at this time um, or the WNBA season and then the Olympics. Um, you know, it's just really great to have that check-in and, and not feel so alone. And so, yeah, I think it was it was great overall. So stick taps to everyone who had a hand in that. Mm-hmm. Um, so speaking more about the uh, – let's go back to the draft. Uh, we want to know who are some uh, of your early winners and, and losers uh, of the draft. Of course, it's, it's too early to tell, but any, any steals of the draft or anything like that? Can you give us a, a little bit of an analysis there? Sure, and I must – give a shout out to Mike Murphy and Marissa and Jemmy. I did a little Instagram live and uh, we were kind of talking through the the draft as it went on. But I, I must agree with something that Marissa said yesterday. Um, I think the, the two teams that stand out for me um, are the Connecticut Whale um, and the Boston Pride. And those two are kind of on different sides of the spectrum um actually quite literally when it comes to the standings the top team and then connecticut um unfortunately finished finishing uh you know at, at the bottom of the league um i think it needed to have a good draft and i think they did just that uh so they they come out the gate with kayla freeson from clarkson university um they are a team that i think they they play a really good they play well in their defensive zone but they get really tired out um, they need some dynamic forwards. So Kayla, definitely uh, in their first round. But I think also support and some young blood to match up with the veterans that they have on defense. 
good as well. So Victoria Howren is, is their second pick um, in the second round. Of course, I announced Amanda Conway and I was looking up, that was the only person I knew for sure was going in the draft before the last few days. Um, I was just following her career and I just got the sense that she's a really tenacious player um, coming out of Norwich University, it's a Division three school. Um, and she's just really been able to excel at every level that she's played at. And I think she'll be able to bring some energy and some life into the Connecticut uh, team. So Boston, I think they win because they, they did something that was unprecedented and they traded up Sammy Davis. And I asked Marissa a little bit about this. She was the Boston Bruins beat writer for the Boston Herald. Um, and prior to that was the, the voice is the by play for the Boston Pride. She really knows a lot about Boston hockey and gets to be you herself. Sammy Davis is, you know, an elite level international USA hockey caliber type player from everything that I hear. And um, they, they wanted forward on their team and they made moves to get her. Uh, so it's very rare that you see the number one team in the standings be able to get the number one pick in the draft. And so that was a pretty boss move uh, mm -hmm. by Boston, if you will. Um, finally, I really do want to give a shout out to both the Buttes and the Riveters that picked up goalies. Um, I don't know that that necessarily means that we won't see all of their goalies return, but both teams definitely had injury. The Riveters only had two goalies for the majority of last season, and then their, their starting goalie went down with an injury, came back, and then swiftly had to go back on the injured, um, you know, on the injured list, so to speak. So picking up young goalies for both of those teams really stood out to me. But overall, top, I think Connecticut did exactly what they needed to do. Um, and again, that, that was a really big move by Boston to jump to that number one spot. 100%. And I mean, going back to that trade, I mean, it was a big trade. I mean, Boston had to give up quite a bit um, to Toronto and move up. Uh, what was your quick when – you, when you first saw that trade, what was your quick analysis of it, I guess? Uh, do you think – it's uh, going to set Boston back? Or do you think, uh, based on what they had to give up, or do you think that, um, you know, it, it propels them forward um, right now? When you think of the trade, uh, there's a few different ways to look at it, and I'll just break it down for anyone who may not be familiar. Of course. Toronto is the expansion team, so they would have had the first draft pick. Um, and then Connecticut, I, uh, would you know, was right behind them because based on the standings. So Toronto um, gave up that first round dra draft pick and the sixth overall, um, or excuse me, the fifth the, the fifth round draft uh, for this year. That's what Boston got from Toronto. So they got a first round pick and the first pick of the fifth round, uh, or, or excuse me, Boston's pick in the fifth round. Um, and then Toronto, um, they picked up Boston's in the, the, the draft, so they pick six overall. And then they get the first round pick in 2021, Boston's first round pick, and their second round pick. Now, what is interesting about that is Toronto, um, you know, from the conversations that I heard from Digit Murphy, uh, they feel confident that there's enough talent that they can um, build their roster from the, the talent pool that exists in Ontario. 
So that's one thing. Um, so giving them a little bit of time to establish themselves, um, to be able to go into next year's draft um, with a really clear picture is really great. Now we have no idea where Boston or Toronto is going to finish, but to rack up some picks for um, 2021 is really a good look for Toronto because there's some names um, that are coming out. Daryl Watts, one of them, um, who could be really great. And now that there's a team in Canada, um, you know, that might be an attraction. So now these players um, are coming to their getting ready to enter their senior year, particularly those that are Canadian, know that there is a Canadian team now in the NWHL. And, um, you know, that, that could be a draw. So we, we still have to see, obviously, how everything's going to play out. I don't think it harms Toronto. It certainly helps Boston. Other analysis of that, and I talked to Marissa about this, is they moved up in that draft. It makes me think that Sammy Davis potentially could have been someone on the board for the Connecticut Whale to pick up. Mm-hmm. Just a, a quick thing I'll do here. Um, as I understand, players can kind of give suggested markets, um, places that they'd be willing and able to move to or to um, play out of. Um, again, because the salaries are not livable wages, there is some of that that you have to consider when making a draft pick. And you would hate to draft someone to Minnesota who is going to be working in New Jersey, for example. Um, so I think there probably was some indication that Sammy could have played in Connecticut as well. So I, I don't think Connecticut maybe liked the trade all that much. Um, <laughs> but uh, again, really good move on Boston. Looks like they got, they definitely wanted, and they were in a position where, um, you know, they're only looking for a handful of pieces here and there. Um, but looking at their, the pieces that they did get, I do think that um, for any of the, the open roster spots and, and once they get into what will be, you know, a little bit of a training camp, these rookies that they picked up in the later rounds will definitely make for a competitive, um, a competitive camp in Boston. For sure. And um, I, I was, I was going to say uh, even for Toronto uh, on Toronto's side for that um, trade, I mean, it does seem like a, an expansion team move, uh, you know, uh, it's smarter to, you know, stock up on those first round picks as well, because of course they're a new team. They want to kind of, um, try and try and, uh, you know, multiply the amount of talent they have rather than put it all in one player for now. Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, again, not knowing how things will, will pan out. Um, there's only six teams, at least as of right now in the league. So if you pick up picks, in, in one round, I mean, that's a, that's a huge advantage already mm-hmm. um, that they're going to have for, for next year that no other team will have. Absolutely. And on Boston's part, uh, I know that they were with, they had a really good chance at potentially winning the Isabel cup, which uh, as we, as we as of right now remains a postponed and uh, they could, they could potentially run it back again for 2021. Uh, just want to go about the uh, 2020 Isabel cup. Uh, do you have any sense of uh, if it's going to come back? And if that's the case, when do you think uh, that game will be played? Yeah, that's the million-dollar question, right? Um, so 
every indication, even as of today, uh, I was kind of asking the league about some after questions. Every indication as of today is that they are still looking to reschedule that game. It is a, a postponed final. It's not canceled as of right now. Um, and that just on a personal note, that's very exciting to me because as one of the, as the analysts for Boston and Connecticut, you know, that's a game that I get the call. So <laughs> I'm hoping that we get to see it again. Um, you know, putting that all to the side, there are logistics that are, are just continue to be unknown. See that every league from the PA to the NHL is starting to consider opening up um, facilities for just practice. There's still a lot of trepidation even doing that and what that means. So um, for the NWHL, on the one hand, it's tough because we have no idea. Um, you know, this could be, if I had to guess, I'd say earliest we'll see this is probably the fall. Um, you know, I don't know if it makes sense to have a final over the summer. Um, I'm not sure what ice would look like in Boston, which is where the final would be held. Um, but I also think that there's, you know, fine to have that maybe late August, September, October. So maybe right before preseason. If I had to guess, that would be my guess let athletes don't play this month by month or week by week with them, but to say, hey, at the earliest we'll go is August and kind of let them enjoy their off season and, and prepare in that way. That, that would be what I think is fair at this point. Um, yeah, uh, I think we just have to really wait and see. Of course, biggest priority, what you would hate to see happen, sports in particular, unfortunately, I think we're starting to see this in the least with certain cities is you're opening things up and then you see another peak in cases of illness and, and you know, heaven forbid, death as well. No, no city um, and certainly no sports league wants that over their head. You want to keep the athletes safe as well as the fans and the staff and all personnel. So I think, unfortunately, it's a little bit of a waiting game right now. I think that's a good way of putting it. And uh, it's just goes along with the uncertainty of sports. We have absolutely no clue as to when things will be coming back and uh, when we'll have a resolution to um, this pandemic. Because obviously, as each day passes, uh, new developments come in uh, this uh, virus. And I mean, it'd be nice to have things back uh, as soon as possible. And trust me, I would like the same thing for all sports leagues. But uh, it's just, it's a very run-of-the-mill answer and it's a very cliche, but we just have no idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's where we're at right now. Exactly. Um, just to round out the, uh, like the NWHL questions about the draft. Uh, um, I just want to know your obviously it's too early, but just your predictions for next season. Maybe is there a favorite team or a dark horse team or maybe some players who will have big seasons? Yeah, that's a really great question. I think we're still seeing the teams. Um, either sign or re-sign some players. Uh, I know Marissa did some reporting, even as we were on IG Live, as the draft was happening. Um, from my understanding, Sammy Davis has already signed her contract. So look for her. She's the number one overall pick um, and was, you know, very fully thought out at, uh, by, by Boston. So I think they're really looking for her and expecting her to be able to contribute. And, you know, there's nothing telling me that, that that's going to be otherwise. As far as teams, 
although I do give the nod to Boston and Connecticut for picking just because of what their needs were or how to elevate in Boston's case, they seem to be even more dangerous than they were past season. They only lost one game. The game that they lost, lost to the Minnesota Whitecaps. The Whitecaps, I think, really did a great job of um, acting to their style. Minnesota is a fast, lightning fast hockey team. Um, you know, and so as you started to see the picks come in and you see a Minnesota Whitecaps pick, he's picked a lot from the WCHA in the Midwest. And then you'd see the coach quote and they'd quote them as speed or fast or, you know, um, and I was like, yep, that sounds like a Whitecaps player. So they definitely picked to their pedigree. Mm-hmm. Do you think um, at Minnesota also picked up, they picked up, I think, one or two defenders, which I think is good for them because with some, they, in places throughout the season, and even in their first season, they really struggled. And, you know, if you can keep the puck because no one can catch up to you, that's one thing, right? Kind of like an Edmonton Oilers, you know, old school Edmonton Oilers style where poor Grant here, like, they're like, all right, Grant's got it. We're just going (laughs) to, you're just going to skate, you know? Um, And sometimes that would kind of, you know, um, it wouldn't really work out too well for them, you know, And, and teams were able to, you know, pinch them a little bit, find the puck, and then be able to capitalize on their own. So I think Whitecaps want to round out a little bit more on defense, and I think they did that in the draft as well. But I think next season are the same two teams that we're waiting to see face off in the Isabel Cup final for 2020, and that's the Boston Pride and the Minnesota Whitecaps. Mm-hmm, I see. Yeah, good prediction. And uh, I think yeah, of course. Michael, uh, go ahead. You had a question? Yeah, yeah. I was just going to say, um, I think Minnesota and Boston are probably the two teams to really watch out for next year. And I think just because there's now a team in Toronto and the prospect of expansion in the near future sounds uh, like it's very much a possibility, I think now it seems like a great time for uh, new uh, NWHL fans to hop on board. So if you were to, if there was a fan that uh, decided to uh, jump, jump on, and uh, become an NWHL fan. Um, I mean, obviously, Boston and uh, Minnesota seems like the great teams to start out with, but what other teams, would, where would you tell them to start? Yeah, sure. So why don't I start with Connecticut, um, and I'll kind of work my way. Connecticut is a team, they are probably most sound when it comes to having an idea of who they are. They have locked down their identity as as a franchise, and that goes back to, I think their first season, which arguably was their most successful season as far as the standings, they weren't a cohesive unit. And every year after that, they really worked on that kind of locker room, dressing room culture. Fortunately, that hasn't really translated to win, um, but they are a hardworking team. Um, they really enjoy working with each other and they really know what their true north is. More uh, physical size. Um, and more skill on that forward, um, in that group of forwards, which I think, again, they got in this draft. Goaltending for Connecticut all five seasons has not been an issue. I mean, you've got some of the best goalies to have come through this league, played for Connecticut. Unfortunately, I, I think underrated because the team hasn't performed very well. So that's kind of Connecticut. Buffalo is a team that 
except for this last season, has made it to the Isabel Cup final every single year. And they stole a repeat um, of the Izzy Cup from Boston in season two. Uh, Kareem Bowie, who was their captain, put on a massive performance, as well as uh, now retired uh, Brianna McLaughlin, their goalie, Brianna McLaughlin, excuse me, um, to win that second ever Isabel Cup. So they are a tenacious team, usually have pretty good size, um, and they use their, their size a lot. They play a physical style, um, which I think is a lot of fun. Um, you know, I'm sure it's not so much fun to play against them, but, you know, if you like team that knows how to you know, throw their weight around, you know, stay strong on the puck and uh, really has some great finishers. I mentioned Bowie, uh, Taylor Accursi, amazing, uh, amazing goal scorer in this league. Uh, so that's what I would say for Buffalo. Making my way up, uh, the Riveters also have won in Isabel Cup. They won in season three. I think the, in season uh, four, they struggled a lot got better in season five, uh, but this is kind of your traditional um, you know, blue collar team. Uh, if they have size, they definitely use it. So they, are, they have notoriously uh, chippy games against Buffalo Buttes in particular. Um, they've got big um, fans, Buttes and the Riveters have some great fans that travel really well. So anytime those two teams are playing, regardless of where they're playing, it's always high energy the stands. Um, that's what I would say for the Riveters, and they seem to really like their new coach, Evo Mosek, or Coach Evo, as he goes by. Um, that's a pretty fun team to watch. Mentioned Minnesota is a fast team in the state of hockey, also have some dedicated fans, and there's such a rich culture and history of women's hockey in Minnesota that really supports that franchise. They're always fun to watch. Tria Rink is one of the nicer facilities. It's a part of uh, the, it is the Minnesota Wild practice, I think I should say, and uh, I love going out there. Um, so I have to definitely give some love to the Minnesota Whitecaps. And then as far as Boston, they won the first ever Isabel Cup. Uh, they played a relentless style of hockey in season five. I mean, it was like goal was 50 shots on goal each game like that was the goal and you know they they met that goal I think almost every single game mm -hmm. you want to talk about a team that, that knows how to score but I think what's more impressive pr impressive excuse me about Buffalo is they just the way of suffocating their opponent um and the their defensive strategy was the puck they weren't going to wait for you to shoot they, you know, they would block shots if they needed to, but it was all about getting the puck back and having puck possession as much as possible. And that's an exciting way to play a hockey game. So um, that's kind of my quick recap of, of all the teams. Awesome. So uh, if, if there's any listeners out there uh, wanting to get into the NWHL and just don't know where to start, uh, first try checking out some of those teams maybe, uh, whichever, whichever you feel uh, you, I guess, want to follow. Um, we're, we're just going to start closing out the interview here. Um, I do have kind of a, a big question here, but I want to, I wanted to ask you, um, obviously when we're going back to the, uh, announcement of the N Toronto NWHL team, um, we've seen some differing opinions about the new NWHL team come from some people around the hockey world, including those, uh, from the PWHPA. Um, 
Do you think you could just tell us a little bit about that situation and why there might be some disagreement with the new team? I think that's a great question and answer it um, kind of in in two different ways. Ultimately, the PWHPA, for, uh, it, it came off of the heels of the CWHL closing. And it is your top, uh, you know, for athletes that are competing on their their um, their international teams, so members of USA Hockey, members of Hockey Canada, um, some members of other national teams, world, and there is no CWHL. NWHL did have some early challenges, and uh, you know there are things again like they're they're not paying a livable wage. They are covered by workers' comp, so they have health coverage, but not full spectrum health coverage that, you know, if they sub their toe um, or everything from subbing your toe and needing to get that checked out to, you know, having an injury on the ice, they're not full spectrum healthcare coverage. They, they don't have that. Um, so, PWHA players, um, they decided to opt out essentially of the NWHL. Uh, they want a different business model. They want a league that will start and maintain livable a livable wage. And that isn't the NWHL right now. There's no arguing that. Um, so these players are kind of doing a barnstorming model. Um, so they have membership fees that they pay and they have um, players that are in the PWHPA pool and then they kind of create rosters and do a weekend of um, exhibition style games. So they, they want and see a different vision for women's hockey. That's kind of just the primer. Um, where I have a difference of opinion on some of the criticism is that um, so What's good for women's hockey is for women's hockey to exist and expand. And I think that listen to some of the, the, the criticism that has been received, um, that there's some people that don't see this expansion by the NWHL as a good thing. Is it a, a livable wage? No. Um, is it you know, your NHL level or even uh, Olympic size you know, arenas? No. Um, but I don't necessarily think that everyone agrees that just because it's not those things that it's not a viable option for, for college players. And I think that's some, where some of the difference of opinion comes from. I do think that some of the players in the PWHPA, again, um, and rightfully so, um, are very, they were very put off by the salary cuts that happened in season two. Um, but I think the message and the narrative sometimes of the downside of the NWHL, generally speaking, um, it kind of, it, it, it doesn't encapsulate none of women's hockey is at that level. There's no place where a woman can play professional hockey and make a livable wage. There's no place in women's professional hockey that a woman can, um, with the exception actually of the Chinese national team that's funding a team that's playing in the Russian league. Um, you know, other than that, unless you want to play for that team, which is a national team, so it's mo made up of mostly, um, hopefully, members that will play for Team China in the next Olympics, um, 
you know, that the, the, this ideal ideal women's hockey league really doesn't exist. And so the the risk right now is if you believe more in PWHPA model or the NWHL model. And I think it's fine to have a difference of opinion there. Um, and I think that's some of what we're seeing. Um, some people are a little bit more adamant um, about their personal position than others. Um, so that's that's the best summary that I can give. But ultimately, my personal opinion is that women's hockey is better with more opportunities. And unfortunately, the CWHL closing eliminated a lot of opportunities. And so with the PWHPA and the NWHL now, those opportunities are, are beginning slowly to come back. And not every choice is gonna be great for any individual. And that is dependent on a lot of other things. But again, my, my take is that um, more opportunities for women to play after college is, is best until we get to a point where is an entity um, or entities that can play, pay a livable wage. A hundred percent. I a hundred percent agree. There's uh, obviously definitely um, the specific details that go into um, these kind of decisions, but I think just the general fact that it's growing the game um, will always be a benefit in the end. Of course. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, just before we let you go, Erica, thank you again for doing this. Um, and thank you for the valuable insight. Really appreciate mm -hmm. it. Um, really appreciate we know it. that, uh, you do a lot of freelance work, uh, and, uh, I've been reading some of your stuff recently. Uh, I am really impressed by it, the quality of the work. Can you tell us about, uh, any pieces that you have coming, coming up? Yeah, well, thank you for that. Um, first of all, I, I really do appreciate it. And yes, uh, so in the women's hockey space, um, I write a weekly column for the nine newsletters. So I write Hockey Fridays. Uh, so tomorrow I'll have something go up. That's a subscription-based model, but I believe actually the next hockey edition will be uh, free and open to the public. So check us out at the nine newsletter. Then also Lindsay Gibbs is a writer who wrote for Think Progress. And even before coronavirus, unfortunately, Think Progress closed its uh, sports newsroom. Um, and it is the sports arm. Um, so anyway, uh, she has started up her own newsletter called Power Plays. And so for that, I'm working on a piece to go into the history of the first ever NCAA Women's Frozen Four. And so for those listeners in Canada in particular, um, I got to speak to the great Shannon Miller, as well as Gina Kingsbury, who is now, um, she manages all of the women's uh, programming and teams for Hockey Canada. Um, Shannon was a coach for Minnesota Duluth for that first ever Frozen Four. And Gina was a, a freshman at St. Lawrence. So hearing their different perspectives of that moment in history has been really exciting. So that's my next big women's hockey uh, story that I have coming up over at Power Plays. Awesome, that sounds really interesting. Okay. And for sure, um, all the listeners better got to check that out because it sounds very very interesting um yeah. yeah and before we let you go do you want to uh plug your social medias or anything like that yeah sure so twitter is where you can find me the most uh so i'm at e lindsay 08 that's e-l-i-n-d-s-a-y 08 and i also have a podcast that i do that covers women's hockey it's called the founding four podcast 
that comes from the original four in the NWHL, original four teams, um, but also cover PWHPA, college, um, and women's hockey history. So uh, go check that out at Sounding Four Pod on Twitter. Of course. So for any oh, listeners cool. that are, uh, of course, NWHL fans or women's hockey fans or looking to get into it, definitely give Erica a follow or uh, and also uh, go listen to the podcast because uh, for sure she's one of the brightest minds in the uh, in the uh, hockey world right now, really. She ate that. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> but uh, well, Erica, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for uh, coming on the show, uh, for giving us your insight uh, on ho- women's hockey. And we really appreciate uh, you uh, just uh, explain to us just the uh, the disagreements that might be that are going on between uh, the NWHL and the PWHPA. So thank you again. Mm hmm. Oh, well, thank you both for everything that you're doing in the hockey space and for inviting me on. This was a lot of fun. Of course. Thank you. Thank you for your time and have a great day. As well. Uh, and be well. You too. All right. Bye-bye. Take care. Awesome. See ya. Well, let me just say that interview was something else. That was that was awesome. I mean, for all you guys who haven't checked out Erica's work yet, please check it out because she's a fantastic writer and a great hockey mind, like I said in the interview. But honestly, check her out. And uh, check out Woman's Hockey more if you haven't already. And of course, yeah. And she provides a lot of great uh, insight into uh, women's hockey 100%. and just the NWHL in general. And just really, really appreciative, uh, again, of her providing such a detailed insight. And she said a lot of really good points, uh, obviously, like we were talking about just before we brought her on, about the draft, how it's being innovative. And she, she just nailed it on the head. I mean, for us especially, I mean, we've had the CWHL here in Canada. So there was really not a huge need to follow the NWHL because you know the CWHL was more local to us here in Canada but now that the NWHL is coming to Toronto I'm pretty sure both of us are going to be a lot more into the NWHL and she gave a lot of insight like a whole lot of information on you know she really broke down the league in really easy to understand terms and 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 you know, I, I really appreciate that because I'm definitely going to look into it more this season while, while I watch the NWHL. Absolutely. I, I agree with you on that. And I also agree with her that uh, this new team is very exciting. And just the, just the fact that there is now a team in Toronto, there's so much potential with expansion. But uh, let's just focus on the team for a bit. Uh, I'm excited for this Toronto team. Yeah, me too. I really want to watch uh, a game once they do actually start uh hundred percent we're going to a game <laughs> for sure 100%. for sure wherever that may be yeah <laughs> wherever we i mean we kind of talked about last uh last week but I, I definitely do think i don't know where they're gonna play but i definitely do think maple leaf gardens or the Miami athletic center i guess you call it um would definitely be a perfect a perfect spot for it um i actually i think that's a really good point too and i i said this last week it just it's location and the fact that it's uh, easy for uh, a team to start out there would be a ideal place for uh, a team to start. But uh, another place that could possibly work too 
because it's also in a good spot for transit would be the uh coca-cola coliseum which oh, yeah. uh there it's it's also a similarly sized arena the facility is uh updated regularly I mean, it's the marley's arena right yeah yeah so if, if they want to have an arena in a downtown spot i think that's another good place to look too and uh that would be a great opportunity to develop a relationship with the MLSE. And as we've known for the Toronto Furies, they had a close relationship with the Toronto Maple Leafs and the MLSE. Just to the fact that they were able to get an arena at uh, the Ford Performance Center. Mm-hmm. For sure. And I really hope, uh, I do hope that we see some partnerships between, you know, the leagues there. I think it would be fun for the fans and great for growing the growing the game. I absolutely agree, and uh, there has there was some of that uh, collaboration uh, we've seen uh, in just fun little skits between some of the Leafs' top players and the Fury's top players. Uh, there was a video I remember with Matthews and Marner, and I can't remember two of the players' names off the top of my head, but they will come to me if you remind me of them. But mm-hmm. uh, they just did some like little skills competition. It was just for like a recorded uh, bit, obviously, but uh, I thought it was it's it just proof right there that this can work. And that these the this, the Leafs and this uh, NWHL team can coexist and establish a relationship just like the CWHL, for sure. And I'm I'm excited to see this team grow and uh, build from, you know, from from nothing basically right now. Um, I think this would be one of our first times kind of seeing that um, firsthand a team grow from because I mean Toronto kind of had a lot of the sports teams kind of established already, but now we kind of get to see that. And we know that they signed five players and then had a strong draft. So just seeing how they build on that, on top of that, is going to be interesting. You make a really good point about an expansion team because we weren't around when the Toronto Blue Jays and the Toronto Raptors first started uh, their operations at their respective times. Uh, uh, and we didn't uh, really pay enough attention. Like I'll, I'll admit I didn't pay enough attention at the beginning for the Toronto Furies when they started out. But I think this is a really cool opportunity for Toronto sports fans that haven't really experienced an expansion team, like how, how that would work from the ground up. This would be a great opportunity to start doing just that. For sure. And I think there's a lot a lot of things to talk about when you're building a team from the ground up like that. And so it's going to be exciting. I absolutely agree with that. Um, I think we have uh, the one thing we don't know yet is the name. Obviously. I mean, I still think Titans would be great. I know you like Huskies. Um, but we'll just have to see. I'm excited for that too, because I, I definitely want to get, you know, some merch. <laughs> of course. Yeah. And, uh, if the name is available, I'm not saying they should do it, but they could potentially go back to the Furies. Maybe it would be great. It would be a nice nod. We'll just have to see. Um, speaking of building the new Toronto team from the ground up prior to the draft, the team had actually signed five players as their first crop of talent. One of these inaugural players, Elaine Chuli was the first goalie to join the team. She actually joined us on the podcast, so how about we go into that interview now? With the exciting news of Toronto's new NWHL team, today we're pleased to be joined by Elaine Chuli goaltender for Toronto's NWHL team. Prior to signing with Toronto, she played two seasons in the CWHL with the Vonk Rays and the Toronto Furies. 
This season, she's been spending time playing as part of the PWHPA. Welcome to the show, Elaine. How's it going? Hey, good. How about you guys? We're, we're doing well. Uh, yeah, we're doing quarantine good. and stuff. As always. Oh, yeah, yeah, same old, eh? Every yeah. day. Is... <laughs> <laughs> trying, to, trying to get by with no sports and things like that. How's, how's quarantine for you? it's uh it's all right it's been different i got uh laid off from my job so i've just been training i feel like a full-time athlete again it's been a while since i've had the luxury of uh being able to just train and not have to work so um kind of just been making the most of it how about you um we've been we've been okay uh, i've been uh yeah even my job has been on pause and um We've just been, you know, trying to, I guess, trying to pass the time. Obviously, we're just, it's kind of tough times for everyone right now. Of course, uh, sorry for hearing about your job as well. But uh, I guess we're all just trying to be optimistic and trying to look ahead, right? Yeah, for sure. That's all we can do, right? Mm-hmm. It's Yeah, it's lots of crazy stuff going on right now. But I mean, just, yeah, trying to make the most of uh, yeah, of what, what you do get during the day, so... Of course. Of course. And you seem to be making the most of it with your training. Uh, can you explore on us of what kind of trainings you've been up to uh, since quarantine started? At home workouts. Yeah, for sure. So well, just quickly to a little background, I grew up in, in Waterford, so a really small town and no, no high performance gym in the area. So I, I ended up purchasing my own like um, rack and bar and bumper plates and dumbbells and kettlebells and all, all this stuff. So I've, uh, I've, I'm lucky I have that with me right now. I've moved to Brantford since, but I have all that. So I pretty much, my workouts haven't really changed too much. Um, I started doing CrossFit this year and uh, just with kind of not playing as much hockey. And I've been really enjoying that. I've just been, uh, I obviously can't go to a CrossFit gym, but I have a program here that I can follow from home and uh, do it all here. So mostly a lot of CrossFit stuff right now, um, strength work capacity stuff and then as the season gets closer i'll look to transition to maybe a little bit more explosive um explosive work and things like that but this early in the off season uh, a lot of strength and and work capacity awesome um so going to uh obviously with the uh news of the new nwhl team i, I want to talk a little about your career i mean Obviously, you played for the Furies last season. What was that like? And and the, just the CWHL experience. It was, it was awesome. I mean, it was super, super exciting to come come back home and play in Ontario. It had been years since I'd played uh, back in Ontario. So that was what I was definitely looking most forward to. And yeah, I mean, we had a, a great group and a great staff. And yeah, we had we had a lot of fun. So I, I, I really enjoyed my time in Toronto in the CWHL. Of course, and uh, I mean, I have to ask, of course, what was it like when the CWHL suspended their operations last season? Like, what immediately, what did you think or feel when that happened? Yeah, I was pretty, it was pretty disappointing. I think we all kind of felt felt that way, that it was unfortunate. Um, again, I don't know a ton about it still, like what exactly happened other than that it did fold. Mm-hmm. But yeah, definitely wasn't wasn't really expecting it, but you know, happen and we all had to fit and figure something else out for women's hockey so during that time off uh between uh, the end of the cwhl and now you signing with this toronto team in the nwhl you spent some time with the pwhpa um what did you do during this past season uh what kind of things you've been doing like on the ice 
Right. Um, not hockey wasn't too much of a focus for me this year, just um, with with there not being the league and that I kind of had some other obligations as well um, after last summer and, and leading in, into that. Um, so I wasn't hockey wasn't completely my main focus, just as kind of the league had folded and I had some other things that I needed to finish up. Um, so I skated a little bit. I'm here and there this season and uh, but that was pretty much the extent of it for me. So it must have been really exciting when you heard uh, the Toronto NWHL team uh, called you to assign you to a contract. Uh, let's go back to that moment first when the, the team was announced. Uh, where were you when you first heard the news? What was your initial reaction? Well I had talked with um, I was just probably it was probably in quarantine so so probably just at home and I was uh, had been going back and forth with uh, miles and digit and yeah that's uh that was kind of when i first first heard about it or that it was like be a for sure thing because there's always rumors and things like that and until you actually hear it from the source um you know then it became more legitimate but yeah just my initial reaction was just you know super excited for the opportunity of course and uh have you reached out to any of your new teammates yet like are you guys i bet you guys are excited for the new season of course yeah, for sure. And it's, I've, I know them all either from previous, oh, actually all of them I played on with previous teams. So we, uh, we all kind of live in the, in this area, Brantford, Hamilton, Burlington right now. So um, yeah, definitely I've, uh, we've reached out and kind of, you know, all excited and just talking about different things for the upcoming season. So it's, it's a super exciting time. Did that, in combination with the fact that you were with the Toronto Furies uh, in 2018-19, contribute to your decision to want to sign with this new team? Yeah, for sure. I mean, also just with talking with Miles, and then once they brought Digit on board as president, you know, I believe in what in what she's going to do for the game as a whole and the future generation. So that definitely made it made it easier in terms of a decision. And then also with I and Joanna. Um, backing the team as well just a lot of uh, good people and I, I like what they're going to bring to women's hockey and as a business in in general so I'm I'm really looking forward to it um of course I, I do know that there's been some like differing opinions on the new uh, Toronto and WHL team coming from people in the hockey world um including some uh, of your peers that were in the PWHPA um I just want to know could you just explain uh I guess what you felt when you were deciding to sign with Toronto's new NWHL team, or, or did you feel like uh, those opinions uh, kind of affected your decision at all, or, or did you have just a different opinion on it? For sure. I think just as an athlete, you, you kind of take a step back and you make an educated decision. You look at both sides and um, what the goals are of each side. And, and I think ultimately the goal of, of the PWHP and the NWHL is the same. It's just groups going about it a little bit of a different in a different way. Um, so I think that you know everyone, everyone's adults and everyone's opinions and beliefs be respected. And uh, that's I just went with my belief. Of course, and uh, obviously this this new team is the first to join and from Canada to join the league, and you're going to be part of an historic first for for the league. So. What? How important do you think it is that the NWHL expands into Canada? Right, I think no one can argue that you know Canada is a huge hockey market. So 
Um, definitely having teams here is just going to, you know, I think further the the development and the growth of women's hockey in the future and, and you know, getting it out there for more people to see it. So I definitely think it's super important having having teams here in Canada as well as the U.S. Of course. And going back to how you said, you know, you were just standing firm in your belief. Um, do, you, do you just feel like, of course, nonetheless, the NWHL is there to, I mean, I guess, uh, of obviously um, promote the game and, and grow women's hockey. And did you, do you feel like it's a good thing that um, it's expanding to Canada and, and just expanding in general? I do. Yeah. I, I, like I said, I really believe in what the whole situation and what Digit um, leading the charge along with Ty and Joanna and what their model that they're going to bring for, for women's sports and women's hockey and bringing it to Canada, I think it's just going to be, be huge for, for its growth and development moving forward. Awesome. And, um, so, you, Oh, go ahead, Michael. I was just going to say, um, uh, so you're joining an expansion team and, uh, everyone knows that it's never easy out of the gate. Uh, there's, there's some bumps along the way, but you're joining a bunch of, uh, your friends on this team and you're staying close to home. So what excites you the most about this coming season with this team? I think just, you know, the opportunity that we have in front of us to go out there and, and grow the sport and grow it in Toronto and and internally for the team to be able to go out and compete for a championship. Of course. And uh, what, what are your expectations for the season, both for the team, of course, being an expansion team, and uh, for yourself? Yeah, they're super high. I always... Like, I always hold myself to high standard and, you know, I want to go out there and win and we want to do it this year. Of course. Um, do you want to take us back to the, the moment that you got a call from the Toronto NWHL team and uh, like what, went, what the conversation was like and uh, when you, whatever words they were said that made you hell-bent on deciding this is where I want to be. I want to sign with this team. I want to be a part of this. Right. Well, I initially had talked with, with Miles and he owns the team in Boston there. He kind of just went through everything we talked about, you know, from a business standpoint, from a sports standpoint and how it all kind of integrates together. So I think that was the biggest thing for me, uh, especially being a business person myself. I really see his vision and uh, the vision of Ty and Joanna and Digit once once they were all once Digit was on board as well with it. So was that's what stood out to me the most and again just being you know a new opportunity right here in front of us to to take and and help develop the game for for younger girls and give them something to look up to to play in when when they get to be our age of course that's awesome um i asked whenever we have an athlete on i i ask this question but uh this one's just a fun one if you can put together i guess uh i guess an all-star 3v3 squad where you're the goalie and then you get to pick the two forwards and one defenseman uh, that you'd play with. Um, who would you choose? And let's do two scenarios here. One squad of past teammates and then a squad of anyone in women's hockey. Okay. Interesting. Hmm. Just, a, just a fun little question to round out the interview. Sure. Well, I would go uh, – I had a great uh... – experience back in china too playing who would i say out there i would have um billy mercer up on forward and uh woods she could play forward or d so if it's three on three we put her on d for now and um go with webster 
Awesome. And then how about for anyone in women's hockey? I mean, even including some of your, uh, you know, some of the greats and things like that. Yeah, for sure. Um, I would say I would have to have to go with my new teammates here. We'd have uh, Echo or Barb's on D and then um, by Dark Angel and uh, a bad sock up front. They're all uh, bold leading the charge here for the, the team in, uh, in Toronto. So, you know, I like, uh, I like their decision-making and I would have to go with them. Nice. It looks like Toronto already has the dream team leading the way here. <laughs> nice. Yeah. You got to go with what you got. So yeah, of course. And before we go, I mean, you kind of mentioned it, but what was playing in China like or playing, uh, yeah. With the Rays. Oh yeah. That was, it was a, it was just an experience like, like none other really. It was, it's surreal. I kind of look back and think, "Wow, did you know? Did I actually move across the world to go play hockey in a in a town where they didn't even have an arena or didn't know how to even make ice?" So I think it was super cool. We had really good good crowd, like good fans. We had good numbers, so I think that was pretty cool for the women's game. Seeing you know how a town like that in uh, southern China could could bring in you know a decent crowd for women's hockey, and I think. I think that was pretty cool and just help being able to help the Chinese players and help them get better with, you know, on ice stuff, training, nutrition, sleep, like whatever they had questions about. It was definitely a cool experience and cool, cool to be able to experience another part of the world doing what you love. Of course. And I mean, even off the ice, uh, what was it like just, uh, of course, off the ice, just being in China and things like that and any cool stories from your time there? Yeah, I think honestly, every day was was just so cool in terms of you know kind of living that professional athlete life and definitely being able to travel to new parts of the world like going to the great wall or going to thailand or hong kong or kind of wherever the day took us it always seemed to be exciting and it was new and a new culture so there's always you know from food to traditions to everything just being able to kind of be right indulged in that and uh experience it firsthand was something i won't forget what was awesome. your biggest culture shock moment? Um, I would say the, I would say, well, actually, well, the, the funniest thing was when we crossed the border and, uh, one of my teammates had to, was going to, had to go to the bathroom and before she even really made it in there, came running out and couldn't believe that the toilets were in the, just like hole in the ground type <laughs> thing. So was probably the funniest thing that came to mind it was and it was just because we were all jet lagged and we hadn't even made it to our new apartment yet we were kind of landed in hong kong and then we were crossing the border so that was probably the funniest thing that stands out to me actually it's funny you mentioned jet lag uh because uh with this 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 china team uh during your time there you had to regularly take long flights to and from china back to canada and potentially the united states so what was, uh, how were you able to adjust to that, like with the constant jet lag and what was your strategy to overcome it more often than not? Yeah, it was definitely weird, especially being a goalie. I felt like some games, my eyes, like my tracking and my timing was just like not there. Kind of a bit of a battle. You didn't feel fresh, that's for sure. So it was just all a mindset. I just tried to, at that point, there's nothing you can really do besides like being a good frame of mind and get yourself in, in the zone play so that was the biggest that was definitely the biggest challenge 
So it must have felt good once you got to stay in Toronto and uh, not have to deal with the long jet lag flights as often. Of course. Yeah, it was it was different for sure. But then when we did have to go back in, when I played in Toronto, when we had to fly back to play China again the fall that season, it was kind of felt like I was used to it and had done it, you know, a good handful of times. So it, it wasn't as big of a deal. Oh, yeah, 100%. Nice. So um, with that, we'll end the interview there. But uh, we want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast and, and uh, talking about, the, obviously, the new team and, and just about yourself. Yeah, thank you very yeah. much. Yeah, really sure, appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. No worries. And, uh, of course, uh, good luck on the new season. We're excited to have you here back here at home in Toronto. And me and Michael are going to try to come out for a game for sure. And, uh, yeah, uh, congratulations and uh, good luck. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. No worries. And stay safe, of course. Yeah, you as well. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Take care. Take care. Yeah, you too. All right. That was awesome. Elaine I, is, I totally agree. Elaine's amazing, and I'm so excited to see her play this season with uh, Toronto. It's just proof right there, man. Uh, this this Toronto team is going to be very exciting to watch uh, next season. Uh, I'm really excited for the prospects of what this team can do. And as we said just before we started uh, talking to her, uh, we get to see an expansion team, and she's part of that uh, first step. I'm really excited for what's to come. Yep. So for all you listeners, uh, make sure you tune in to uh, – the NWHL this season is going to be it's going to be great. I can't wait. So, uh, moving away from hockey now, though, uh, how about we talk about some basketball? Absolutely. I think um, there's been some uh, big news. Yeah, I mean, uh, some pretty funny news. Uh, I mean, but it's interesting. It's interesting nonetheless. Um, so first, the NA, uh, the NBA has been, I guess, trying to figure out where they would resume play if and when they do resume play. And I know we've been uh, hearing, you know, Las Vegas as a as a suitable location, but it's been reported that Walt Disney World in Florida might, in fact, be a possible location to continue the NBA season. What are your thoughts on that? Well, let's just say if it does call through, it'll be the happiest place on earth. <laughs> Man, I, I just... There's so many puns that can be made around this i mean i mean you could say it's a pretty goofy place for it (laughs) but um i mean essentially it's because you know it's i think what draws what's drawing the nba to that location is the fact that it's a uh is the fact that it's a private a private property right um as opposed to you know um las vegas which of course is a huge city but a private property is a place where you can really um control who enters and who leaves and and control what's going on there right Mm -hmm. so the fact that they want to host players in there and probably just just they want a large property to house all these players um i don't know specifically where they would play the games if they would play it you know at the orlando magic arena at their arena or if uh they have other sites that they want to play at of course it's not going to be with fans in attendance though Mm -hmm. so what are your thoughts on that i think uh just from uh 
bigger perspective, um, we people tend to forget that the Disney, Walt Disney World property is huge. It's huge, and there are lots of housing and uh, as in like hotels and resorts that the players could stay in, and some really quality ones would be possibly near where these games could theoretically be played. So, in terms of just social distancing measures for as, as which is one of the huge things that has to be taken into account when uh, trying to resume operations, uh, there possibly can't be a better place to do it than uh, Walt Disney World because the players are in a good location. There's quality. There's there's definitely options for good food around there. They can keep their distance from uh, other players and potential staff that are going to be in the area. And I think that uh, it's a possible place. Like a idea like that could be done. Uh, for other leagues, in terms of trying to think of where they would want to resume operations, they have to find a location similar to Walt Disney World, because that's a possibility for a place to work as a placeholder until teams can actually go back to their respective cities and resume play as normal. I mean, now that I think of it, it makes a lot of sense. Of course, back to the Las Vegas thing, it's a city, so you can't regulate who goes in and out of that city, right? Who comes in contact with these players and things like that. Walt Disney World is like a world on its own, <laughs> you know? It's like its own bubble. Um, you can, I mean, it's obviously closed down right now, so it would only be open to the NBA players, and it would be heavily, I guess, filled with security and things like that. Um, and that minimizes the chance for, you know, any germ spreading and things like that. And I'm just reading the some of the advantages include multiple courts and hotels, um, it's really close to the Orlando Magic's facilities, and apparently it's already ready for broadcasting, which is perfect. And uh, the ESPN is owned by the Walt Disney Company, mm -hmm. so it would make a lot of sense in that front that there's so many broadcasting uh, facilities ready to be used for that hypothetical scenario. And I think if, uh, like, let's say the NHL wants to do something similar, uh, that wouldn't be a bad place to start looking. For sure. If uh, the NBA doesn't decide to pursue that option. But I, I think the Walt Disney World Resort feels like the perfect place to do it. I actually it think there. it is a perfect uh, perfect idea. So uh, we'll see. But I, th I do think they have something figured out there. I do want to yes. move away to the Toronto Raptors now. Just super quickly. Nothing. There hasn't been any news. We're still kind of just trying to pick fun things to talk about in terms of uh, the Raptors. But... This post kind of went viral last uh, or yesterday. Uh, if we're recording this on Thursday, by the way. Uh, this post kind of went viral on Twitter um, from Slam. Um, who would you put on the Raptors Mount Rushmore? Mm, so that's that means, a... you know, the four. I don't even know how you would really describe it, but more like four iconic Raptors players. You know, mm -hmm. it doesn't necessarily have to be the top players or the best players or statistically the best players, but I think iconic is the best word way to word it. Each of the four have done something significant for the Raptors, of course, just like the four presidents mm -hmm. that are up there. Okay. Well, there are I think probably the most the most the easiest one to pick would have to be Vince Carter. Like there's no debate. Vince Carter has to be on this Mount Rushmore mm -hmm. because he is possibly the reason why the Toronto Raptors franchise exists and that basketball Canada has become what it is today. Um, so I think that was probably the If we're one. putting together a behind-the-net podcast, Mount Rushmore for Raptors players, you're going to put 
Vince Carter. It has to be. There has to be Vince Carter. I think the other player who's unanimously, um, you know, decided that he should be there, I think we both can agree it would be Kyle Lowry. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think it makes the most sense. Uh, and just the fact that he was on the team from when they, uh, like, during that transition phase from out of the Chris Bosch era into last season where they finally won a ring, uh, I think Kyle Lowry will probably be one of the most uh, – is can be considered one of the most important Raptors the franchise has ever had. Mm-hmm, exactly. Um, and then it kind of the after those two, I think the opinions start to kind of change. But I want to hear who you would put. I would put. Uh, I would honestly put Kawhi Leonard next as a third one. What about you? Do you think he should be up there? Um. Just I just want to name you some of the other options. Of course, there's Chris Bosh. Uh, Siakam, DeRozan, McGrady. Uh, Damian Stoudemire, I think, yep. as well, is also yep. on there. As well, yep. Well, see, okay. I don't think Stoudemire and McGrady are worthy of being on Mount Rushmore. As important, mm-hmm. like, they're great players. I agree. Let's, not kid, let's not kid ourselves. But if we're talking about the Raptors' Mount Rushmore, they weren't on the team long enough, and they didn't really thread the needle enough to really say that they deserve to be on Mount Rushmore because let's face it, Vince Carter is the more important. Like if we're comparing Vince Carter to those three, Vince Carter is the more important player. I think we're looking at the four players who actually contributed something significant during their, like really significant during their time with the Raptors, something that altered the franchise, right? Just like, you know, in the real route, Mount Rushmore, it's the four presidents who did, in their times is something very special right Mm -hmm. so i would put Kawhi leonard because he did lead them to their first championship even though he was there one year you look at other players um you could say tracy mcgrady wasn't there for that long um same with chris bosh um but they i mean they did things but they didn't win a championship i think that propels Kawhi leonard's one year above theirs in my opinion, mm-hmm. what do you think? Yeah, I think Chris Bosch is probably a player I wouldn't put on the Mount Rushmore. Simply put, it's not has nothing against him. He was a good, he was a great player, but he was the face of the franchise when he should have been probably the second guy or the third guy, the third best player on the team, which the Raptors didn't really have, and that's just not really his fault. I mean, don't don't get me wrong. During that during those mid two thousand years. Um, he could definitely have been a number one option, but the Raptors unfortunately didn't have a second option for him to pair him with. So mm-hmm. he went to Miami and was a second or third option there when he fit great there. But I really do think he could have been a first option too. He could have been. It's just unfortunate that uh, the Raptors were never able to surround him with the quality pieces that mm. could have taken, that could have taken the team uh, to the highest that they eventually reached in 2019. But yeah, then again with the, uh, during that era, it was dominated by the Western Conference and uh, LeBron James. So even if the Raptors did somehow manage to make it out of the East, I don't think they would have uh, easily won a title. Mm-hmm. Or uh, forgetting Miami Heat, they also were really good during that time as well. Yeah. Um. So are we in agreement with the Kawhi Leonard as a third? I think Kawhi makes sense in that he deserves uh, a spot. But we also have to remember, too, he... Was this the fourth the uh, creator of 
possibly the most iconic moment in Raptors history. Oh yeah, is buzzer beater in Game Seven, and we've talked about that play so many I think, times. I think that lands him a spot on the on the mountain. Mm-hmm. And I think who would you go for your fourth? That's the final spot. Okay. Um, I guess since I'm looking at all the other options and I've weighed everybody else out, uh, I don't think Siakam deserves a spot yet. He probably will one day. So the only other player that's left to pick is uh, Demar Derozan, and I think he here's here's my here's my take. If Demar De, Demar Derozan is probably the uh, the best Raptors player before Kyle Lowry and Kawhi Leonard, like 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 before these players, he'd probably be third. If we're ranking like Reeves and Raptors, who'd be considered the best, he's probably third or fourth. Um, and he embraced the city of Toronto. And he was the face of the one of the faces of the franchise during their resurgence uh, to success. And I think he would have loved to uh, win a title here if uh, things worked out differently. He was a won a bunch of all stars. He won uh, an Olympic medal just like Kyle Lowry did. And uh, he was uh, imp- important to the franchise because his trade led the way to getting Kawhi Leonard and ultimately winning the championship this past year. So I think. It's it's kind of tough because I can understand why you would not want to put him on the the Mount Rushmore because there are people that would say no he doesn't deserve it, but I think he's important enough to just where the franchise was, just how they were able to get to this point they were last year, that I think he at least is deserves to be the fourth pick. Exactly, I hundred percent agree. I think I think we're both um, agreeing with those four. And DeMar DeRozan is important because Kyle Lowry, I see Kyle Lowry as the heart of the team, but DeMar DeRozan was the best player on those Raptors that really brought the Raptors back into contention and turned them back into a consistent playoff team, which the Raptors really never were a consistent playoff team to the extent that they are now or they've been during the 2010s. Um, Mm -hmm. And... I really do think it's it is because of DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry, but a lot of it is mainly because of DeMar DeRozan. And exactly, he did a lot of special things in his time here. And I see a lot of other people are saying, you know, Tracy McGrady. I don't I don't think Tracy McGrady would be considered for this only because uh he did a lot. He didn't do as much really with the Raptors. He he really hit his prime after he left the Raptors. And became the player he is. So I wouldn't even say he really did that much with the Raptors that you can really say uh, contributed to his career. So that's why I wouldn't say Tracy McGrady. And uh, yeah, definitely DeMar DeRozan is my fourth. And give it a year or two, Pascal Siakam could jump up there. Yeah, I think uh, if we're just going to rank it, it would possibly be Vince Carter, Kyle Lowry, Kawhi Leonard, then DeMar DeRozan. And I think Siakam is probably the, the player that will overtake DeMar DeRozan at some point to yeah. be on the I mean, Rushmore. That's a whole different topic, but if Pascal Siakam stays with the Raptors his entire career, he could end up as the the GOAT Raptor. Has I, I don't think a Raptor has won uh, league MVP yet, right? No. Okay. Whoever that player is might deserve it, and I think... Out of all the Raptors play currently on the roster, Siakam is probably the best position to do that. But... I definitely think he's an MVP caliber talent. Not this season, but possibly one of the next few seasons. Mm-hmm. 
I think that that would pretty much solidify his place on the Mount Rushmore if he was able to clinch an MVP award. Of course. And again, if he stays in his entire career, then there we go. And that's one thing, too. We haven't seen a Raptors player play out their entire career in Toronto yet because a lot of them have either come at the tail end or left early. For sure. So I think that would be a huge monumental moment for the franchise as well if they were able to get that player that stays with them from uh, beginning to end. For sure. And with that, I think we'll close out this uh, episode of the podcast. But before I do, Michael... Do we have any fan questions for today? Yes, I was just looking over the page uh, just now. Uh, looks like we have just one question this week. Just one? Okay, okay. What is it? That's no big deal, guys. Uh, obviously, every but uh, every week before we start a new episode, we will uh, ask for fan answers, questions and answers. So uh, please keep it up, guys. Uh, we'll always answer them. So this one is from one of my good friends, uh, Jordan Ticelli, and she asks, why do the least do? <laughs> That's such a good question. But <laughs> I wish I had the, the answer for it. Yeah. I, do. I, feel, I feel that. <laughs> I mean, it's like asking the meaning to life. You just don't have an answer for the I mean, way things are. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the answer to some people say the answer to life is number 42, which means death. But if we're going to answer this question, just hypothetically speaking, why do these do? They just do. That's exactly how, that's exactly the way to put it. They just do. Let's put it this way. They lose, the least lose to Zamboni driver. They just do. The least (laughs) blow leads in playoff games. They just do. Yep. The least haven't won a Stanley Cup since 1967 and haven't come close. Just do. Oh, man. But there's your answer. So... Yeah, I hope, I hope that uh, is, a, is, a, is a good answer. I hope good it's a good answer. enough answer. But, uh, yeah, I mean, as always, um, if you have questions for us that you want us to answer on the podcast, you can send it our way. Um, we'll just plug our socials right now. So you can follow me on Twitter at Matt underscore Rodrigo underscore. And you can follow me on Twitter at the Leafs IMO. And you can tweet either of us with any questions or any topics you'd want us to discuss on uh, the podcast in the future. So just... Hit us up there. Yeah, absolutely. Don't wait for us to send the, the, the tweet that's asking you guys for the questions. You're more than welcome to send them uh, any day of the week. Yeah, exactly. So uh, with that, thanks for listening, guys. And we'll catch you next week. Next week. All right. See ya.